Hello, and welcome to Making Christ Known, a podcast from Adairsville Baptist Church in Adairsville, Georgia. This podcast features Senior Pastor Eric Sorrell and his sermons designed to make Christ known in Adairsville and beyond. For more information about Adairsville Baptist Church, visit us on Facebook or online at adairsvillebaptistchurch.org. In this episode, Pastor Eric preaches from the book of Psalms about the psalmist Asaph, a message that is applicable to many. Asaph was bitter toward God about the hardships of life. However, once repentant of this bad attitude, Asaph chose to rest in the strength and portion of the Father. Christ should be the desire of our hearts and our joy, both in heaven and on earth. Let us magnify Christ in our hearts, for He is worthy to be praised. And now, here's Pastor Eric. Well, if you have your Bible, I invite you to open to Psalm 73. The 73rd Psalm. It is a Psalm of Asaph. We do a lot of searching these days, don't we? We surf on the internet, or we search Google, or we search online, or we scroll on our phones. And I just want to ask this question to those of you watching online, welcome. And to those here, has your searching soul truly found what it's looking for? Are you really experiencing full satisfaction? Are you, are you really experiencing deep declaration? There is this great confession made in Psalm 73. It is a great declaration. Psalm 73, verse 25 and 26, says this, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Lord God, we pray that You would show us the joy of the Lord. Become in our hearts our deep delight, our strength. Lord, You are our portion forever. And may that be able to be our prayer at the end of today's service. There's nothing that I desire except You. Nothing compares, Lord, to You. And so, Lord, we ask that Your Holy Spirit would teach us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Psalm 73, a psalm of Asaph. In the book of Psalms, it's found in that third book of collections. Tehillim, the praise, of the psalms, praise to God. And let me give you the context of Psalm 73 and the context of those verses. It's here that we find a man named Asaph, and Asaph has a bad attitude. Anybody ever been there? I'm there often. I just confess. Asaph had a bad attitude, and actually... It gets corrected, and he gets to praise God. He goes from bad attitude to correction. He sees the light, and then he begins to praise God. Asaph actually had this, a bitter attitude. Have you ever struggled with that, just being bitter? Even bitter towards God? We may not say, oh no, no, I'd never be bitter towards God. We'd never say that. But really, if we really opened our hearts and said, maybe we're a little bit bitter about circumstances, the way things are going how we look and we don't see justice, how we look and we say, I'm really not um, happy or pleased with this. So he, he has this bitter attitude. 
toward God and really towards life as he looks at it and he sees the prosperity of the wicked. He sees those people who are atheists who are functioning really quite well. And he looks and he sees the saints suffering and he goes, I'm kind of bitter about this. God, I'm kind of, um, I kind of have a bad attitude about this. Life ain't fair. I'm not so satisfied in all these things right now. He's upset. And he questions God. But he finds relief. And he finds relief when he goes into the sanctuary. You, you can see it. We don't have time, I guess, to look at all of it. But you can see how he begins. Truly, God is good to Israel, verse 1, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, he's just going to make his confession of his bitter attitude, his bad attitude. My feet had almost slipped. It's almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Why? For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They don't have any pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek, and he just continues to, to name them kind of woe to America. He kind of lists some things that may describe us, but he looks at life and he goes, nah, I, 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 I'm not getting this. And the great verse is found in verse 16. He says, But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to be a wearisome task until, verse 17, I went into the sanctuary of God. When he goes to God, he finds relief. He finds relief in the sanctuary of God. He finds relief in the presence of God, and God changes his heart. And at the end of the psalm, we see how God has, has changed His attitude and taught Him and, and corrected Him and transformed Him when He goes into God's presence. And then in verse 21 through 28, we, we see that great change. So you may say in Psalm 73, we see Asaph's trial and triumph. The trial and then his triumph. We see his problem and Frustration and how when he sought God, he found satisfaction and victory. And he began to delight in the supremacy of God. I want you to look at two key verses, verse 25 and 26, which we've read. And especially verse 26, which says this, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Can I give you a two-point outline for verse 26? Here it is. We see in the first part of that verse, his confession, his complaint, his conflict. We see in the latter part of verse 26, his comfort and his conquest. We see in the first part of that verse, his failing flesh. And we see in the latter part, his flourishing faith. Can I tell you the Puritans of the 1600 loved to preach on verse 25 and verse 26. There was a Puritan preacher in the 1600s with the name George Swinock and he basically called this part the fading of the flesh and the flourishing of faith. And he wrote a whole treatise about it. The Puritans loved to talk about man's depravity and man's sinfulness and they also love to talk about the glory of God. They certainly also love to talk about uh, death and the afterlife, knowing that this world was not their home. They loved to talk about finding delight in the Lord. 
And so I want you to look at it with me. What is his confession? What is his complaint? What is his conflict? But it's this, that my heart and my flesh may fail. <laughs> That's after all, my, my envy of the wicked, my bitter attitude, my not understanding this life. Um, here's my confession. My heart and flesh may fail. That's my complaint. You see it a lot in the psalm. Here is my conflict. But look at the latter part of the verse. Do you not see his, his comfort? Do you not see his, his, his conquest, his victory? He says, but, but... God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. My heart may fail, my flesh may give out, but God becomes my strength. He is my portion. We certainly fail here, don't we? We certainly fail in the first part of uh, verse 26. Our flesh fails. Some of you know that. We know that. Our, our, our body gives out. Even our flesh, our, our, our attitude, our heart, we, we fail. We certainly fail here, but we will not fail. We cannot fail here in God. God is the strength of my heart. God is my portion forever. We certainly fail here. We cannot fail here. So let's look at verse 25 and 26. This great prayer that I hope becomes your good confession and your declaration. And I want to just, to just take it line by line. Let's look at verse 25. The first part of this great prayer and praise says this, Whom have I in heaven but you? Whom have I in heaven but you? You know, you could search all of earth and there's amazing places on this planet. You could search all of earth. You could search the deepest oceans. You could search the highest mountains. And I will tell you this, and you will not find satisfaction. You could search all of it. All of it and never find true satisfaction. He is declaring this by saying, whom have I in heaven but you? Because he goes a step higher. You could search all of earth, the oceans, the mountains, and not find satisfaction. But here's the greater point. You could search all of heaven and not find satisfaction. Were Jesus Christ not there? You could search all of heaven and not find true delight. Were God the Father not on the throne. Whom have I in heaven but you? He's certainly satisfied in, in God. You know, we have Christ in heaven for us. There's no need for angels. There's no need for saints. There's no need for our relatives. The need of heaven is Christ. Can I give you that as the letter A under that? The need of heaven is Christ. I'm sorry, Catholic Church, but you don't need angels. I'm sorry, but you don't need saints. We don't need to pray to any other. I'm sorry, as great as it will be to see our loved ones in heaven, that's not the need. <laughs> the need of heaven is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And He says, whom have I in heaven but you? Who do I need in heaven but you? I don't need anybody else. That's the need of heaven. But B, what's the joy of heaven? The joy that he finds is Jesus. The joy of heaven is Jesus. The joy of heaven is not streets of gold and my mansion. and uh, That's a lie. And, and, and the joy of heaven is Jesus. The joy of heaven is not even getting reunited with our loved ones. That's a joy, but it's not the joy. Whom have I in heaven, Lord, but you? The satisfaction of heaven is the Savior. So the great Puritans would... Encourages, pause, pause. Do you really desire heaven? 
Is heaven your desire? Do you desire Christ before all things? Whom, he says, have I in heaven but you? Look at the next phrase of verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. What are your desires? You ever thought about them? Of all the desires, nothing compares to God. Nothing compares to the desire of God. Oh, that we would desire God. That's what He wants. That's what I want. It's what I want for my children. It's what we should want for one another. Oh, that we would desire God. Desiring God above all. That we would turn from glitter to gold. That we would turn from trinkets to treasure. That we would turn from rags to robes. You see, God is better than all on earth. God is better than all in heaven. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth. If, if, if you're all there is in heaven, <laughs> there's certainly anything else in heaven. And there certainly ain't going to be anything here on earth. And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. He's better than all. Jonathan Edwards, that great preacher, said these words, He that hath God hath all. All other joys, all other comforts, all other delights are inferior to God. The temporal and the earthly does not compare to the eternal. So here there are these earthly desires and spiritual desires. And that was Asaph. He got way too frustrated and caught up on the, on the here and now and the desires of this life. And, and he looked around, but until he went into the sanctuary of God and then he, he started to delight in God and he began, began to see, oh, it's, it doesn't compare. The earthly desires don't compare to the spiritual desires. What are your strongest earthly desires? Money? Movies, music, sex, sports, popularity, possessions, power, hobbies, health, home, cars, computers, phones, food, friends, family, fame, romance, degrees, drink, ease, travel, tech, looks. We have so many desires, don't we? And he would say, and none of those desires compare with Desiring God. I mean, people search in all those areas. There's so many things that we search for and look to for joy and satisfaction. And sadly, what we do is, what David Platt has said that we do, we idolize the good and we trivialize the great. We maximize the lesser and we minimize the greater. And this psalm and this prayer comes and says, Oh, don't delight in God. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Do you remember in Mark's gospel? Don't turn there, just listen. When Jesus talked and gave that parable, the parable of the four soils, the sower. I like the way Mark chapter 4, verse 18 and 19 says it. This is what he says about the seed that was sown. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the Word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things 
enter in, choke the Word, and it proves unfruitful. Jesus knows that there are so many different desires in this life that come in and they choke out our delight in God. And We have to be able to say, Lord, I, I want that in my soul that there's nothing that I desire but, but You. The great hymn writers have said it quite well. You're familiar with these words. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be His than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by His nail-pierced hand than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. A more modern one said it this way, Lord, You are more precious than silver. Lord, You are more costly than gold. Lord, You are more beautiful than diamonds and nothing I desire compares with You. Nothing that we desire can compare with God. It's not wrong to delight in earthly things. It's not wrong to desire other things, but not before God that we would desire. Go to verse 26. Yet you see His failing flesh. You see His confession. You see His complaint. You see His conflict. You see that it's frail, this, this flesh. He says this, My flesh and my heart may fail. Our flesh and our heart have failed and they will fail. Asaph's flesh and heart, it had failed. He was bad at God. He had a bitter attitude. He knew what it was like to fail in the flesh. He knew what it was like to have his heart in a, in a wrong place. Our heart and flesh will fail. They have failed. They will fail again. I will fail again today. We will fail. They fail because of sin and the sinful nature. I mean, they'll fail even at death. And he, he, he knows that. He says, look, I know the wicked will die and they got it coming and I know that I will die and, and so I need to enter into your sanctuary and I need to put things in their proper perspective. And he says, I, I, I know my heart, my flesh will fail because of sin, because of my depravity, because of sinful nature. Can I tell you this? Even the best of men, even their heart fails. Even the best of the preachers and reformers and even the best of God's people, David, any, the best of men, our heart and flesh will fail. We will fail the test. Therefore, therefore, we put little confidence in the flesh and we put much confidence in God. My heart and flesh, they may fail, they shall fail. But my confidence is not in man. My confidence is not in me and my flesh and my desire. My confidence is in God. You see this in the New Testament. Time and time again, the Apostle Paul loves to write about our failing flesh, but about the sealing of the Spirit. And you contrast the flesh and the Spirit. If you walk by the flesh, this. If you walk by the Spirit, then this. But we have, yes, the, the frailty of the flesh, the failing of the flesh, but thank God in the New Testament for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we have the sealing of the Spirit. He is our strength. Seals forever. 
Sealed by the Holy Spirit, the book of Ephesians. He is our portion forever. This is our God. Look at verse 25. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. He is the rock of my heart, my, my refuge. He is my portion forever. Aren't you thankful that God does not fail? He is the refuge. He is the desire that does not fail, that does not dissatisfy. When creation and all its created comforts fail, and they will, the all-sufficiency of Christ does not. So in that latter part of verse 26, you could give it an A and a B. What is he saying? He's saying A, that God is our support, and B, that God is our supply. God is our support. He is our strength. He is our foundation. He is our support and, and refuge. And He's also our supply. He's our portion. He's our inheritance forever. He supplies us with satisfaction. He says that God is our portion forever. Forever. He's our portion both in this life and in eternity. All other portions, all other of those desires that I just rattled off, they'll all fail. That portion won't last forever. All other portions fail. But if God is your portion, that's an everlasting possession. If God is your portion, that's an everlasting portion. That's an everlasting possession. God is our abundance, our fullness, our goodness, our beauty, our sufficiency. Our portion is God. Our portion is everlasting. And when the saint dies, he carries his portion with him, right? Not the U-Haul behind the hearse, none of that stuff, none of the other desires of this life which we put so much in. If God is your portion, that's the only portion that you take into eternity. Your satisfaction in God, your delight, your salvation, the world and its goods should not be the portion that we desire or grasp. Oh, mercy. But don't you see it every day? Our temptation, the temptation of everyone around us, their, their portion, they're going after the world and its goods, the world and those desires. They're desiring, that's my portion, that's my portion, that's my portion, that's my portion. You can get it. And all of those things that I listed, they'll fail. Every, it all, they, at some point over the year, they will fail. They will let you down. You will be dissatisfied. You will not find what your soul is searching for in all of those things. Only it's, if God is your portion, and that's got to be the, the portion that we desire or grasp. So let's see the surrounding verses. I told you, he goes from like, like just trial, and, but he has this triumph when he goes into the sanctuary. But look at, look at how the psalm ends. Let's read it in context. Verses 21 to 28. Look at what Asaph says. What God's people would say is they would go back to this psalm time and time again. What the Puritans would make their prayer and I hope we'll make ours. Look at what he says, verse 21. When my soul was embittered, he just confesses it. We need to learn to do that. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you, God. It's just, just his, his prayer, his confession. Nevertheless, ah, you have to love the neverthelesses of Scripture. Nevertheless, he says, I'm continually with you. Thank God. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold 
my right hand. Even though I've got this really bad attitude, God, you don't change, you don't move, you're right there by my side. You hold my right hand, verse 24. You guide me with your counsel. Yeah, when I went into the sanctuary, you're, you, you counseled me, you guided me. And he says this, and afterward, you'll receive me to glory. I'm going somewhere. I have a destination. That portion lasts forever. You guide me with your counsel. Thank you, Lord. And afterward, you'll receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, shall fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you, they'll perish. They shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you, but for me, as for me, but for me, it is good to be near God. I've made the Lord God my refuge so that I may tell of all your works. I love those surrounding verses. The psalm tells us that we can draw near to God. He draws near to us. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. But he says in verse 28, it's good for me to be near God. We can draw near to God. We can have God's presence, God's nearness. God's guidance now through the Holy Spirit. And we have it both here and forever. How do we draw near now? The well, book of Hebrews tells us now we draw near through the great high priest and through His blood. We draw near through Christ. We can draw near through Jesus. He says, it's good for me to be near God. Some would remind us though that there are a lot of pretenders a lot of people pretend to draw near to God. A lot of people uh, pretend to come to God's presence. But if you just come in and you plop, that's not drawing near to God. You're pretending to, right? Some pretend to come into His presence because they think that they, right? It, it, you, it has to be from the heart where we don't really pretend to draw near, but we really do draw near. We really do take time to, to give Him our heart and to desire Him and to be satisfied in Him and to delight in Him. And, you know, if you're just watching online and checking it off and you're just plopping in a pew, and you, you know, you, that's pretending to draw near to God. It's all about the heart of worship. He says, it's good. Oh, the nearness of God. That's the good thing. Oh, my portion. That's my delight forever. And he ends the psalm this way. It ends, so that I may tell of all your works. The psalm ends so I can be a witness. The psalm ends so Asaph can be a witness. The psalm ends so you can be a witness. When we find satisfaction in God and we delight in Him and the joy of the Lord becomes our strength and we have our portion and our desires in the right place, you'll find it a whole lot easier to go and witness. You'll find it a whole lot easier to, to tell of all His works. Whom I have I in heaven in you? There's nothing I desire on earth. Man, I can praise you. I can, I can rejoice. I can worship. I can let loose and it doesn't matter. I can draw near. I can tell. Because you've changed me. Two words. Want Jesus. Oh, that we would want Jesus. Develop that desire. But you know the, the, the truth and you know the frustration no one can make you want Jesus. <laughs> I can't make my kids want Jesus. I can't make the church member want Jesus. We can't make the community want Jesus. 
as bad as we would. We, we can't. Nobody can make you desire God or make Jesus more. How do, you, how do you get to the part where you can say this prayer? Practically, what I've found for me personally, read Scripture. Delight in Scripture. The psalm in Psalm 119, time and time again, he says, I delight in your word. I delight in your testimonies. I delight in your commandments. I delight in your statutes. That's one of the ways that I'm, that I'm able to, to learn who I'm oh, in heaven, but you, there's nothing on earth that's going to... Get in the word. Read Scripture. Read it. Read it. Pick it up. Read it. Number two, that, when you read this, it will, it will build in you the hunger and thirst for righteousness. It will help your desires. Uh, secondly, listen to worship music. Wor- worship. Put it on. Find the, the songs that lead you to the throne and that make you d- desire heaven and Christ above all. And Number three, spend time in prayer. To really just to, to pray. Number four, go on a spiritual retreat. It may just be in a closet or a bedroom. It, it may be out in the woods. It may be in nature. Go and be alone and be with God and let God delight your soul, become the strength of your heart, your portion forever. Some might do this. Join a discussion group. If you're the talker and the share, get plugged in. Get it somewhere where you can, where you can talk and study the Bible forever and, and let it encourage you. Read good books. Pick up a a good old author that's dead. Pick up one that's alive. Read something. Listen to sermons. Listen to good sermons. Listen to a podcast and it it will change your desires. Serve in the church. Serve in the community. All that helps us to, to want Jesus. All the other things of this world, it's just glitter. I mean... They're going to make us want other things and they're going to make us desire this and to know that and to feel this. And that's what everybody's doing today is just searching after the glitter, right? But, but we know gold. We know the pearl of great price. We know the treasure that's hidden. You, you want to dig it up? Dig, dig, find delight. The Puritan George Swinock encourages the saint and the sinner alike to delight in the one who he says is the sweetest love, the richest mercy the surest friend, the chiefest good, the greatest beauty, the highest honor, and fullest happiness. Oh, that we would desire God. Oh, that my children, oh, that the next generation would learn to desire God. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Making Christ Known. We invite you to join us again next time for another sermon from Adairsville Baptist Church. For more information, visit us on Facebook or online at adairsvillebaptistchurch.org. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to connecting with you again soon.